Hey, welcome to the Zoo Town Podcast. So glad that you're listening. Um, if you love what you hear, share it. If you don't love what you hear, then don't share it. <laughs> but one reason we're doing this is because we believe that in the Christian community, it has become very divisive over ideas. It's become divisive over theology. And it doesn't mean that we aren't very uh, firm in certain things, but we want to stay focused on Christ and we want to be able to have normal conversation because that is lacking in our society. And so that's what the vision behind this podcast is. Um, it's not that we endorse every single thing that people say, but we endorse them as people who are made in the image of God. And so uh, that's why we do this. So thanks for joining us. Love you guys. Hey, thanks guys for joining another Zootown podcast. And as we like to say in our intro, we, we want this podcast to be a place that uh, not only just gives opinions, but listens. And obviously there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different voices, tons of different information that uh, we are absorbing <laughs> every single day. And so um, we recognize that there's um, obviously racial tension and um, different views and different opinions on that as well. And so we decided that we want to bring our good friend Jayton Simpson in. And uh, he's been working on a lot of cool stuff in Missoula. Um, and you're about to bounce to Spain, right? About to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't missing much, bro. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, and so he, uh, yeah, he was a, a member of our church, and now he's working in Spain, and um, he's been doing a lot of cool stuff in Missoula just to raise awareness. Um, and so we just wanted to hear his perspective and just get to listen. And um, as a, a black man who grew up in Montana, I think, right? That. Well, kind of, <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. It's actually it was a debate in the house with my grandmother, my sister, my mom, trying to figure out um, what do I put down for my profile of where's your hometown, where are you from. I've been up here in Montana since two thousand and one. Yeah, I grew up in Long Beach, California, and my after a long debate, my grandmother hit me with, "Or well, where did you spend?" your formative years like where did you spend oh, your yeah. grade school that's good, that's like, good where grandma were you? right there yep and i was like well you know that grandma she was testing me yeah <laughs> grandma are you a traitor oh, yeah, <laughs> she was testing me i was like long beach that's where i grew up you know that's where i graduated high school she was like well there you have it thanks grandma that's hometown yeah that's, yep. that's it and then so and then you came up to you got to missoula why why'd you come here well <clears throat> everything that was going on in california uh, and everything that I was brought into, you know, having a, a dad that was caught up in the system, uh, the bad part of the system. And, uh, I knew that I didn't want to be that. I, I didn't want to get caught up in the system. So I figured I would run away from it. So to say, what's the system? Explain it to our yeah, audience. So whether it's mass incarceration and a three strike rule that was down there in California, that, impacted a lot of people who I knew, family members, whether it was, uh, and of course I'm going to talk about the bad stuff right now because I didn't see much good stuff while I was there. Yeah. Looking back on it, I can say that, but when I had uh, exposure to, you know, murder and drugs and, and that was even from the community and then also from law enforcement themselves, mm -hmm. you know, uh, even remembering Rodney King riots and scarred my childhood, you know? Yeah. Uh, so not only not having a dad and then having a mom who was caught up in the system as well, fighting through every which way she could to, to not only make a living for, she knew that I was going to get caught up in the system. If had she not, 
switched up gears from the influence of, you know, my, my dad. Um, I can't, I can't even recall how many times she came home frustrated over not getting the promotion, Mm. not getting that leg up at work, even though she worked so hard. And of course my mind, it was, well, why not mom? Why didn't you get that position? And of course, in her anger and frustration, a whole multitude of things came out, but the thing that stuck out to me the most was when she said, because she didn't fit the profile. And so I'm like, okay, what profile is this? Is because mom, because you, you're a little yeah, louder than most? Yeah, kids don't know that either. Kids don't think like that. Nope. So, yeah. Nope. Absolutely not. But again, looking back on it, and then at that time, I'm like, well, I've faced discrimination and been grouped together and in, uh, in groups and crowds in school. <laughs> I know how it is, mom. Like, I got you, but we're going to get through this. And that's one thing that I know looking back on it, I'm so thankful, not only that God was there, but also that I had the wherewithal to know that there was a better day coming hmm. and that that wasn't going to stop us from, from proceeding forward, you yeah. know, that knowing that it could be better. So, so back to the system, right? Like the system being the, the, the game that we all have to, to play or the interactions we have to have in not only our places of employment, and where discrimination goes on there, um, and interacting with businesses, and 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 uh, where you shop at, knowing that not only discrimination goes on there, but but also not knowing where that dollar really ends up, because if you're shopping at a specific place or you're a consumer of a specific product or service, and then that business or organization is supporting the system that continually or perpetuates hate or discrimination via whether it's politicians, lobbyists, or yeah. just who they support and where they, again, um, buy their products from and source their services from. Um, and just policing, you know, the system being policing, for sure. And my interactions with the police, my mother's interactions with the police, my father's interactions with the police, yeah. uh, mostly been all negative, hmm. very much so. Um, all right. I don't like telling this story, but one story is... Well, that's, that's number two, too. So tell us a personal <laughs> example of it. Yeah, let's go. There you go. Let's jump into it. Yeah, yeah. So a personal <clears throat> example is uh, my mother had a Toyota Tercel hatchback, like a 85 or something like that. I remember those, yeah. Love that car. Yeah. Limo tint, dark windows. <laughs> I had two 15s in the back. <laughs> I mean, I had put it on chrome rims. I mean, like, you know, just rubber band type tires low profile like yeah. i was for a 17 year old i felt like i was the man yeah killing that yourself oh <laughs> stick shift too it was yeah. a manual like yeah. I, no one could stop me you know it was really light besides yeah. the heavy speaker box that i had in the back <laughs> <laughs> but um i can't tell you how many times i was pulled over in that vehicle and it just it was just normal it was normalized that because it had limo tint window and a loud speaker system I was frequently pulled over. Thankfully, I'm here to tell that story, right? Like, Which is weird because you wouldn't think that if you were a drug dealer, the Tercel would be your car of choice, right? Right, right. So like, right. But also, you know, like like the things were like just rolling through certain neighborhoods. Huh. And these are all the different excuses they gave me. Well, you're rolling through this neighborhood at this time of night. Well, I couldn't see in your windows. Well, you just looked suspicious. Well, please make sure you... I can't remember one of the last things that the officer told me. It was like, um, well, it was always, you need to remove your tent. 
we need to be able to see in your vehicle to make sure. Was it illegal tint? I don't think so. There was like some limo tent with like five percent or something like that. I don't remember the the grades or whatnot. No, I there was that. one yeah, that you I could that you could go down to yeah. that that certain. <laughs> you, like you, were, five you were always riding the I line. Was always now, riding right? the line. <laughs> pushing the line, of course. <laughs> but yeah, that car, that car, uh, I'll never forget it. But there were so many times that that I knew I was doing nothing wrong. Seatbelt on, license registration. Again, I'm here to tell this story because I was doing the right things the way that uh, the way that I knew how. And the way that I could, uh, given not only just my upbringing, but the tools that I had around me and the environment in which I was I was interacting with. Did you grow up in a, and we'll get to how you got to Missoula, but did you grow up in a predominantly black area or what was your? I would say it was a predominantly mixed area um, with heavy on the Hispanic side. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but that was just my, my neighborhood that I was in when I was in my last two years of high school. Gotcha. I moved around a lot. I'm not going to lie. You know, growing up in L.A. Uh, County as a whole, uh, I moved four or five times prior to my last two years of high school. How come? Uh, you were going to ask that question. <laughs> it's a podcast, bro. <laughs> uh, ask, yeah, you're just sitting there all just nice and easy. We want to know. Just, yeah, this is not the good side of Jayton. So... Yeah, growing up, I was definitely uh, a fighter, defending my my right to Exist. to live the <laughs> next day. Oh, it's real. I didn't have big goals, you know. Like I didn't have. There were no. There wasn't until like my junior year of high school where I saw anything past high school just wasn't there in my mind. It's been mostly a survival technique for me. Most of it was race-related fights. It hurts to even know that my fights was with my own brothers and sisters. And then with my brothers and sisters. Race was a big tension point in school because there was so much going on whether it was poverty whether it was discrimination whether it was just access to tools to get ahead and poverty always comes back because when you don't have food and you're hungry everything is like a trigger to you Mm. everything so I would look somebody wrong what you looking at me like that for you got a problem no, nah, I ain't got no problem. Chad just crapped his pants. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right back. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like those things, they're just tension. And then so it just flows down from there. And yeah. that's just one of the things I can remember. Another thing is when people were talking about my mom. It was a trigger point for me. And people started to learn that. That, ooh, I know how I can get under his skin. He's over there trying to be a good boy. Let me go ahead and knock him off his pedestal. Because thankfully, again, I thank God that I was I was okay academically. I wasn't the best, but that's definitely one of my saving graces was being able to perform academically in school. That kept me out of a lot of trouble. And the trouble that I did get into that afforded me another chance to uh, do the right thing. Because they were like, well, he's a good kid. Look at his grades. Is that what you're saying or what? My mom was definitely a bit advocate for that. Okay. Uh, and then also there was a few administrators that, uh, 
that wanted to have, that had my success in, in mind, you know, that I could make it about the hood, that I could make it past the environment in which I was operating in. So academics helped in that regard mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I, every time I fought, you know, I would either get suspended or kicked out of the school. Uh, so that caused my mom to to have to move because, you know, districts, you only can go to the school in which your, your address was in. Oh, yeah. And so after the fourth school, <clears throat> Paramount High School, I remember it. Uh, first day there, got into a fight. S the next day I was able to come back. Not the next day because I was suspended the first day of school. <laughs> they don't do Next time I came back. <laughs> <laughs> next time I came back and it was... It wasn't something that I didn't start that time. Oh, I didn't. I didn't start the first time, but I was defending myself. The next time, there was just a bunch of stuff going on. I went in trying to help stop the fight. I was involved because I was just grouped in with the rest of the people. And of course, the first day of school, you got into a fight, Mister Simpson. What do you expect? So they expelled me from that school. Uh, my mother found a cousin who was in a uh, Bellflower, California. Uh, I went and stayed with them for a little while so I can enroll in Bellflower High School. And that was like my last, last effort of trying to do right, to bite my tongue, to just swallow those hard pills of people talking smack, not having as much money to be able to do certain things. The only, the only way I was able to play football and basketball, for that fact, was, you know, the coaches building these fundraisers and, hey, there's this place that I know that you can get a job that works around practice schedule. Mm. Come play, Jayton. You have this anger. You have this passion. And, of course, you have this frame that we can build say, up. And you, you're huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they never forgot that part. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was definitely a, uh, a interest of theirs to to see how well I could perform on the court or on the field. Um, and at that time, it was like, okay, if you're going to put these tools in place, if you're going to allow me to work and be able to feed, you know, help feed my family, because at that time, you know, I had my brother and my sister as well that I was help looking out for, you know. Dad's still locked up at this point. Okay, I'll give it a try. If you promise that I can work and make some money and you're not going to take the money from me, one. Two, you're going to allow me to go knock some heads on the football field yeah, and yeah. give me a chance to, to post up down low and dunk on someone. All right, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And so, uh, and yeah, so I was able to make it through, through high school with, with minimal disruption, I should say, and, and definitely grouped myself with better people. Uh, and that was... That was, that was my, my way out. That's that's how I beat the system, so to say. Uh, joined a, a group on campus, which was Young Black Scholars. Ended up being the president of that club my senior year, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Graduated with a three point five, little gold rope, I think, and everything. Yeah. Got to walk across the stage. You know that was that was pretty cool. There's like two thousand. There were two thousand people in, in in school there, and. I think only like 400 graduated out of like a thousand senior class or something mm. like that. Yeah. yeah. I, there was a big disparity there, but um, yeah. That, and that's how you, so then you had to get a like, call from University of Montana or how'd that work out? Yep. Yeah. My uh, junior, senior year had a couple breakout games and my coach was like, 
hey, there's a couple of schools that are interested in uh, speaking with you and you attending their college. And one of those schools was Montana. And when he said Montana, <laughs> I said, where? What? <laughs> like, that's in, that's in, I was going to say, that's in Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was and you'd a never been here? Like, yeah, no, there was a couple of us oh, that were gosh. just like, oh, we have to go look that up. So, of course, we're asking the coach, can you help us out? They gave us a little brochure and everything. And, of course, there's all white people on this brochure. Yeah. But at least there were cars. Like, I'm thinking horses. I'm thinking one stop sign, <laughs> one stop light. <laughs> so that was 2001. So yeah, we, had, we had just gotten cars at that point. Malfunction it, Junction was still. A thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. When did you come up? What time of year did you come up for your recruiting trip? That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, right in fall. It, so it wasn't you know, February. They, they, no, no. They brought us up. Um, you know, there's a recruiting class came up and it was during one of the games or something like oh, that. Yeah. So, you know, they set up the whole stage everything yeah. like that so yeah it was pretty cool though because i wanted to be somewhere far enough away where i wouldn't be tempted to go back to the hood and go mm. back to that thug life or at least trying to be a thug life um but yet close enough just in case something went down with the family i can go help yeah so it was like a car a day ride away 24 hours from long beach to missoula yeah driven that many times by the way mm. Yep. I usually stop in Vegas when I do that. <laughs> my, sister, my sister lives in just north of San Diego. So gotcha. I've, yeah, I've, yeah. I've done that drive a few times. Yep. Yep. You know that drive down yeah. to 15. And that yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So then you came up here and played four years. Yeah. Four yeah. Years? Yeah. Came up um, in September and yeah. Went to the business school. Wanted to get my, my, uh, my, some legit business knowledge rather than that street business knowledge. And I knew that that would be a easier path for me rather than trying to do something off the wall, crazy like politics or something like that. Yeah. I really wanted to go into engineering. Um, but then I would have had to go to the state, uh, school. So I didn't want to do that. You didn't want to be a Bobcat. Mm -mm. <laughs> I mean, even though the colors were blue, it was very tempting by the way. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, some, something about just Missoula. When I came up from my recruiting trip, I remember riding in the car from the airport to the stadium. Um, we were, and the, at this time there were these, and maybe they still have them, but the University of Montana like issued, and it has like and just, just a little logo on there, the University of Montana, plain old white sedan car. <laughs> I'm in the back seat, two coaches in the front, and as we're on the, on the freeway, a cars riding right beside us and a little kid is in the back seat just smiling and then proceeds to wave and i go coach this little kid is waving <laughs> well wave back okay <laughs> <laughs> this ain't southern california yeah i mean that, <laughs> that was wave. a trip to me yeah. yeah that was a real trip to me that that um that that was the kind of vibe that missoula uh was portraying at that time uh, and for the most part, Missoula has, has has maintained that, which is the reason why I'm still here in Missoula. So yeah. So that's kind of one question is like, how have you been? What's your experience like as a black man from Southern California in Montana? What's that like? Mixed, all over. Fortunately, I was through the university and have experience playing for the Grizz, and so that affords you a little bit. And since I realize how much that affords you and can be exploited, I really like, hmm. you know, it's not something I bring up quite often, you know, because um, I much rather have 
my foundation be on something more than sports? And there's been many times that, oh yeah, you're just a football player. Oh yeah, you're just a jock. Oh yeah, that's the only reason why you're here. It's just to play football, so why don't you just go play football? Anytime that I've tried to do something outside of football, <clears throat> I've had to manage those, uh, not only expectations, but those kind of interactions. Hmm. And you know, there's some intersectionality there, but unfortunately, when those habits present themselves over and over again, you know where it's directed. Yeah. It's because you're black and because you're here just to play sports. And that's the only thing that you can perceivably present or add value to this community. And it was a really, really tough time for me to manage being proud, being a grizz versus that's the only thing that people saw me as was just a grizz. Yeah, winning games. They just wanted you to win some games. Yeah. Didn't care about, you know, me taking 20 credits, you know, and graduating a semester early, didn't care about me and trying to help other, you know, mentor other kids, didn't care about, you know, not only my family background, but I moved my mom and my brother and sister up to Montana my my second year here Mm. because I wanted to make sure that, first off, it was okay here. And then second, I wanted to make sure my family was taken care of as well. I didn't get to this point by myself. You know, I didn't, and that's one of the things that I really keep in the forefront of my mind that anything that I achieve now, I really feel that I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed so I can be a blessing to others. And so when I realized that it was okay to not only interact with this type of community, but there's also a potential for future, then that's when I was like, mom, we got to go do this. So drove down to Cali, you hauled it up, loaded up as much as we could. And drove back up here and Yeah. Yeah. Is it weird from your is it weird being in a town or a state where there's not much color? Like is it weird? Now it's not weird. It was at the beginning. It was definitely a culture shock. Yeah. Not only with the weather as well. <laughs> it's but, just uh, all white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not only are the people white, but the ground just is white. February all the time. 1st. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely the change, but I was ready for a change. I didn't want to be what what the environment was allowing me to be. I even say allow. Because there were times that I would link up with people who were who I knew were not about that life, so to say, and had a future and a plan that was wanting to, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to be a chemical engineer, and I'm going to have a family. And all. I'm just like, I mean, all right, I, I respect that. But how, we, you know, let, let's go ahead and focus back on this class and this yeah. project that we're doing right now, because I couldn't. I couldn't see that at that time. I really couldn't. So it's, um, yeah, I was ready for a change. Mm. I really knew that, that God had something better and bigger for me in my life. I didn't want to end up in jail. I didn't want to end up on the block slanging or using. I didn't want to hurt people. Yeah. You know, like I, I had that passion in me to just be a passionate person. Like, just like you love hard, you know, like I loved hard, but then I fought hard too. Yeah. Cause I had so much anger just from everything <clears throat> and understanding, like 
how deep the system ran at that time. And that was just the surface. So, so that's, yeah, just kind of like, I I want you to describe how you view systemic racism, meaning again, obviously we, we have our own perceptions, but I always say even from stage, like Sunday, I'm a white boy from Montana, you know, and that's, that doesn't excuse certain things, but there's sometimes we don't even know what these are. Like you'll watch the news and, one news channel will tell you this is what it is and another news channel will tell you this is what it is so from a uh black man's perspective who grew up in that environment what does that mean to you how how do you view systemic racism within the system that you're talking about yeah so one like the neighborhood i was in how is that neighborhood like zoned and regulated like was gerrymandering was redlining a part of that that's part of systemic racism the policing, you know, like, are they just patrolling the streets or are they really there to protect and serve and, and cultivate a, a community unity type of vibe? <laughs> nah, they weren't. They were profiling, you know, that that's part of that systemic racism because they literally were there to enforce their power and to make sure if any one of us got out of line, they were going to make an example out of us. <clears throat> that's part of it. And then just interacting with of course at this time you know um uh, like when people would have money they would just spend it and so when I got a little change I was out there trying to spend it because as a kid that was one of the things to do but what am I spending that on am I investing that back into my family am I spending that with people who have my best interests at heart somebody who's trying to end racism or somebody who's trying to make sure they're in the position to say, hey, Jayton, there is a future and here's a way to 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 achieve that or at least here's an example. I didn't have many examples. I mean, inside the church and outside the church, I didn't just have many examples to fall to. So every time I watch TV episodes and shows, mostly white people, and I couldn't afford BET. I loved watching it when I was at yeah. the homie's house. Yeah. You know, but that was one of the ways that I was able to at least feel like I'm consuming or exposing myself to something better than just that thug life. Yeah, more positive. Right? Yeah. That's a form of systemic racism when you have employers in the media, all forms of media and entertainment, who are discriminating against the success of, of black people. That, that That's one of the ways I see that, systemic racism. And then, of course, you can go history of like, you know, all the laws and, and, and the way that the judicial system is set up and 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 the way that bonds were set up for those things. And, of course, going back history of, on voting rights and things. And we're still addressing some of those things now. I mean, think about mail-in ballots, right? Like, yeah. Um, and education. Like education. When I look back on my opportunities through education, had I had I been in a place where. I had more accessibility to a school counselor and them not giving me the cold shoulder because they had 15 other me's to deal with and not enough resources to deal, to, to, to accommodate. And, and, and only for them to have training as well. I mean, I wish anti-racism training had been around for a long time, but you know, we're just now, trying to incorporate that into society but that's part of the system that's systemic racism to me every bit of the way that i interact with the system employment education socially 
I guess would you say media and, and the entertainment, all of that stuff has, has, has given me an image of the way America wants to operate. And there are people out there fighting to perpetuate that for sure. And there are people out there like myself trying to make sure that we have not only more options, but a, a way to disrupt or even reform, dismantle um, that, that systemic racism um, foundation that has been set up in the, in the States. So you've been doing a lot in Missoula, um, just not just post your posting stuff, but like uh, spoken word. So what is that? Well, you know, we hear stuff like raise awareness. What does raise awareness mean? And, and I guess I'll just tell you again, because obviously I can only come at it from a white man's perspective, but also a pastor's perspective. When you talk to a lot of other white people, it's not that they're against it. They don't know how to change it. That's what's hard, man. Like, to be honest with you, like, it's kind of like, well, so when you, when, when you say words like raise awareness, awareness for what? And then what's this, what's the, the thing that goes with that? Does that make Action. sense? Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, like, what do you, like, what do you want people to do when you raise awareness? So you're saying that I just can't be a keyboard warrior? I, <laughs> I know you're not <laughs> you're actually doing it <laughs> yeah when you're raising awareness for me raising what does awareness, that look like yeah man yeah, yeah no, that's a good question yeah raising awareness is 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 not only providing examples or speaking from a perspective of speaking from a wider perspective not just a single perspective uh, first off second off is 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 being able to do the work so I'll break it down for you. One thing, raising awareness is being able to, to demonstrate, peacefully protest, uh, being able to have the difficult conversations within your networks, you know, no matter if it's at the dinner table, no matter if it's at, you know, the, your, your kids, uh, you know, sporting event and you're talking with other parents. You know, I can't tell you how many times that I've attempted or approached some of those conversations with, with, within those settings, um, but it works. You know, um, and and I think that since I've put myself out there before, uh, people are a little bit more open to speak with me regarding some of these sensitive topics. I'm kind of getting worn out on it being a sensitive topic because uh, I don't think it's sensitive anymore. I think it's something that just needs to be uh, approached and addressed because uh, we deal with a lot of other sensitivities already. And <clears throat> unfortunately, that. What is it, you know, de, you know, when you're desensitized to some or the you, you build calluses or you grow thicker skin. I think that's something that we need to do when we're approaching this this conversation of racism and how you combat that within your own networks. We just got to be a little bit more uh, tough with having that conversation. And being able to, well, first off, having it with the right people, you know, because you don't want to just go and spill your guts to somebody who is not in their right mind or in their right place in their journey. We're all on that journey. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, raising awareness for sure is 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 just being able to to be in a place where you can have those discussions. Is, what are some positives that you've seen as you've been doing that in Missoula? <laughs> and what are some negatives? Yeah. So some positives. Um I've been able to, to set the example for my kids, you know, that's a great one. Um, I'm, I'm able to, 
to continue on the trajectory that I was on prior to me diving into this whole social justice, you know, front right now, because I've been doing this for years. You know, if people remember, I was the guy out there trying to develop this mentor program, you know, trying to help kids. I was in my situation, not only athletically, but academically. I was that same guy out there just helping kids just for the general purpose of helping kids, regardless of college or athleticism, just making sure kids knew that there was somebody positive in their life that can help guide them through some of at from their perspective, sensitive, touchy conversations, whether that's them growing up in a single parent home, whether that's them growing up in a broken home with both parents, whether that's them having siblings that were, uh, you know, abusive or abused drugs and other things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm that same guy. I'm that same person who (laughs) I'll go back because I punched a dude when I played football, like my first play in the game or something like that, like had my big chance. I was on a field goal play and this dude, uh, got mad because, you know, I, 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 I pancaked him, you know, it was on the field goal. <laughs> so I hit him hard. I was able to talk smack to him. And the dude grabbed my face mask and, and tried to poke my eyes out. Huh. My only reaction was to punch him in the neck to get him to stop. Yeah. Um, I'm that same guy who, who was able to turn around and manage my anger. I'm that same guy who's, who's still passionate and using it for the good things rather than the bad, negative, um, there's just downright wrong things that that this society, that this world offers people like me um, who've come up like I have. Yeah. What are some, so as you're raising awareness in Missoula, Montana and other places, what are some negative things that you've seen? Like what are some reactions that people had or sometimes it can just be misunderstanding. That's hard too. But like what, what are some negatives? Exhaustion. Just get exhausted. I'm not saying your show, this podcast is exhausting. Oh, no. <laughs> it kind of is. Oh, well. <laughs> but this is, you know, yeah. the reason why we had to reschedule is because, you know, just got other things on the plate as well. Yeah. Like, did something with the Montana High Tech Alliance, you know, did something in the, in you know, whether it's protesting, whether it's um, the Witness and Listen event. I'll tell you more about that yeah. later, but... It's just exhausting, you know, because you're trying to to balance and manage your own buckets, you know. Like yeah, your dad and husband. I mean, yeah, you know, like family number one, right? Like, how far does that number one go? Because I can totally spoil my my wife and children, and then I can totally spoil my grandma, my mom, my brother, my sister. I can totally spoil myself at work totally spoil myself out in the community by standing at the courthouse and holding up my sign and protesting, holding up that sign. Am I next? I could do that for hours and hours on end, but like, how do you manage all of that? And I'm struggling with that. It's exhausting, Hmm. you know? And then, you know, just defining that line of saying no (laughs) to people, you know, like, nah, I can't do this right now. No, I just, you know, coming up with someone like, Hey, I can't do this, but here's a person that can, you know, and, and, and managing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and of course the pushback, the pushback, there's a lot of people who, 
uh, I've associated with that are just like, who do you think you are on your high horse saying that there's systemic racism? Who are you to say that that uh, that the world is against you or that there's a um, that there that you're a minority in this hierarchy? Who who are you to say that there's anything wrong with what's currently going on? Look at the employment rate. Look at all the jobs and look at all the money and and look at all the the, the good things that are happening. And it's just it's just difficult to balance all that because mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, you know, I see the good. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying that there's some bad that I'm trying to address. And there's nothing wrong with that yeah, that's a good because way to we put can it. improve. That's a good way to put it. So it, it's difficult in that way to try to, uh, um, to, to continue on with that positivity because, again, I'm passionate, you know. And I, I, I try to keep that passion in that good light because I, I know that God put that there for a reason to do good. Yeah. Not to allow my anger to to take that passion over and it be administered in, in, in the wrong way. Do you feel like in Missoula you've gotten a overwhelmingly positive response to your it depends message, on the network to your message? Yeah, it depends on the network, you know, because they're I'm not afraid to go and speak my piece now. <laughs> yeah. Before I was very concerned. Um just because of losing things, you know, just losing a job losing um, funding for, you know, whether it was the mentor program that I was trying to, you know, that I established or, or just being able to, to operate in the spaces that I knew would, would be beneficial for, for our community and our society. So yeah, there's a, yeah, it's just, it just kind of depends it all depends. who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. I strategically surround myself with good people. So it's easy to to have that echo chamber, as people call it. Mm. You know, it's easy to do that. But it's difficult when you know that you're going to be in an environment that people don't align with your views or feel that that everything is okay right now. Or that the speed, the velocity in which we're moving right now is, is okay. Because that's one of the things I do feel. Like people go, well, we're doing good. We're making progress. You should be happy. And I am happy. There's just some things that should have already been in place. We should be working on other things and new things. And we could continue to work on more things without people feeling like they're losing something. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Chad, you got a question? <laughs> no. Um, just, just listening for yeah. sure. Um, I think that that it's home a lot with that that fatigue that um exhaustion hits home a lot with me as somebody who wants to help raise awareness but also like again a white boy from montana with no experience um i think you're probably the 10th black person i've met which is mostly on me. I'm kind of a recluse, so I go home. Not a lot of black people at my house, uh, and I go to work. And but it's just shocking of like how uncultured I feel like Missoula and the surrounding areas are compared to like the times I've lived out in the Seattle area. So, um, I'm sure we'll get there, but I wonder how much of that exhaustion feeds into like triggers. Um, where we do snap back at neighbors and we don't answer politely or um, 
somebody can post a alternative perspective on what I believe should be what it is and what is happening. And it just pisses me off. And Dan will edit that out when it really upsets me. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just taking it in. But. Yeah. So what, you know, one of the questions I sent you to is just like, what changes need to be made? And I know that's such a broad, broad question, man. So I, I appreciate any answer you give for that. But again, I'm just trying to give you, because I've, I've listened to both sides where I do know there are good white people who aren't like angry or upset that people are not just protesting, but raising awareness. But the question I hear over and over, and I've even thought too, is like, what is the answer? Like, what's, what do we do? Cause it, like, that's why I said, like, it always comes down to like voting, but I don't know if that is always the answer. Cause it just seems like even that is torn in so many ways. So I'm like, what, what is the answer as you're raising awareness? Cause like, how do you convince someone like, even like you're saying about a system, right? Like, it's easy for me to sit here and be like, I have no clue what you're talking about because I wasn't raised in that system. So therefore, but you were you were raised in that system. I'm saying from your perspective, <clears throat> from my perspective, from your perspective. Yeah. So I think that's why. And I'm just again speaking for Montana people. We're kind of like, like what, what are they talking about? <laughs> but we also, I know people, people do want to help in some ways, but they don't know what that help is because it's still the human heart. Like for the human heart is where someone is racist. Like the human heart is where someone is looking down on someone in judgment. And so from a system standpoint, again, what is the answer? What, what needs to be done? Cause you mentioned education, right? So does that mean give your schools more money or training all of the above? What does that look like to Jayton? Yeah. Well, you're on education right now. So I'll just speak to this specifically regarding that. So one thing you could do is make sure that the education system that you're in is, um, you know, catering to an anti-racist approach. Like you can go to your school board, you can attend those meetings and you can speak up and say, Hey, there are things going on in the school that I've ever heard about, or what are we doing right now to make sure that our diverse population, hopefully the school is diverse or at least has, if it's not diverse, I hope there's something in place for the, for the few minorities that you do have in that school, that they're being supported and protected. Like that's just one thing too. It's like, you go back to the school books, like history school books, you know, like what are they really learning in those books? Is it from that very much systematic systemic? I'm going to exclude a lot of black history, native American history, Asian American history. And we're going to exclude a lot of that and say that, Hey, this is only from this, perspective where we only have this many pages so we can't include more information about you know <laughs> black history yeah. juneteenth yeah. <laughs> black history month <laughs> and the list goes on you know um like those are some of the things that i would say educational wise as a parent community member that's one thing you could do and the other thing is just call calling out when people are being racist and if you don't know what it is, write it down, learn about it and then re-engage in that, you know, in that conversation or be prepared for next time. I might share it with you, Scott. I just might, cause I have a piece, a 
of my spoken word. You have. I told you you have to. At the end, we're closing it out with a spoken word. You have to. That's part of coming on. But yeah, that's that's um, it's something that I, that I wrote a piece that uh, speaks to that directly, and um, yeah, I really like it. So I'm yeah, sure we're going cl- to so. close out the podcast with it. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's just one of the things from an educational perspective, a community perspective is is definitely that. Like, don't just don't feel like you have to hold your tongue when things are being racist. Chad, you only know black ten black people. I don't know if I'm tenth or eleventh, but either way, <laughs> oh, dude, you're in the top ten. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that's one of the things that you can do. Like for sure, you don't have to go out and befriend a black person or <laughs> indigenous. Or, you know, like all I'm saying is that if you are aware of your limited exposure to diversity, change it. Change it. Yeah, that's good. You That's know, good. and you understand the benefits of it, not just because you can say you have a black friend. Oh, I know Jayton. I can't tell you how many people do that. Oh, yeah, I know Jayton. Like, <laughs> I just pointed at Dan in the corner. Like, Dan, do you know Jayton? <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. Like, okay, if you know me, then let's engage. You know what I'm about. You know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to dismantle racism in all forms. Come come holla at me yeah. i ain't gonna bite uh, i'm gonna keep it real you know but that's one of the things you can do to change and then of course whatever whatever network and area you operate work working out your kids involvement and stuff or your friends involvement and stuff like those are the situations where you get to be anti-racist like don't crack those racist jokes just don't do it you know like, yeah. make another joke don't laugh at that joke and give that person a side eye or talk to them later. Send them a text. Hey, that was real messed up. You said that. I know 10 black people. They would probably be ticked <laughs> off. <laughs> okay, well, I'll count later. Yeah, I mean, you better make sure you got the right number know, on yeah. that at least. It's on the record. Do <laughs> but, you know, like those are things that you can do, you know, and then be involved. You know, you don't have to go down and protest, but it sure would be nice for you to stand there with me as we raise awareness to this injustice that is going on to our fellow Americans. Good. Be involved and then educate yourself. Read, you know, that's one of the ways watch 13th, you know, watch get out. Like there's so many different ways you can consume. We just watched it like a month ago. Oh yeah. And I was like, and then did you see how Kanye West said it was written about him? And we were like, I wish I wouldn't have read that because then I watched that thinking like, this is the Kardashians and this is Kanye West. <laughs> like, I wish I wouldn't have read his yeah, tweet before yeah. I watched it, but yeah. I love Peel, man. He's a great director. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many different ways you can educate yourself, you know, reading, you can write it out. Like that's one thing obviously that I do now, which has mm-hmm. been a way that I've been able to process most of this is just being able to just write it out uh, and engaging in conversation. So, I'm pretty sure I'm rambling now. So there's lots of ways. If you need some more, you can hit me up on Instagram, J underscore world perspective. There's a plug. It's my first time ever doing that. So we'll repeat it in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. So there's many ways. Hey guys, we hope you are enjoying this episode of the Zoo Town podcast. Um, we just want to take a moment right now to remind you that likes, shares, uh, reviews, they go a huge way as far as getting the message out further into our community, but also abroad and into other communities. So if you value this conversation and past conversations that you have heard on this podcast, we ask that you take the time to actually go and give us five stars 
Don't give us four. We need all of them. And uh, leave us a review. Thanks again for being listeners to this podcast and contributors and joining the conversation. Thanks. I, yeah, I appreciate your honesty. And so we do want to, and again, when I ask you these questions, it's because we've heard these questions from the other side and not the other side, but more like they're honest questions, but they're, they don't know 10 black people, you know? And when you, when you, I mean, I'm saying even from the news perspective, if you watch the news, there's a tilt to everything, mm. yeah, don't watch e- the news. <laughs> you know, on each side. And so you're a real, real person with a real, real story. So that's why these questions I think matter. Um, cause these are what even people who, um, want the best for a Jayton, you know, they still don't know how to engage on some of these social issues. So one of those questions I asked you is cause we hear this a lot is there's rioting and then there's protesting. And, you know, I think I just read a statistic that 90, forgive me if it's wrong, but it's like 93% of the protests have been very, very peaceful and you know loving all kinds of stuff um again you throw in the coronavirus stuff and all that then you know that that taints it all kinds of things right but then you got the news then that shows the seven percent that is rioting and hurting people and damaging their property and all kinds of stuff and not only that is i mean there are videos of people walking up to people at restaurants you know who are just sitting there and they're telling them they have to say this thing and chant this thing and that does skew and it, it taints the movement, right? So yep. what is your view on those two things? Um, and how do you, as a man who's trying to do it right, because last time I checked, I never have seen you downtown throwing things in glass windows. <laughs> like if you have, now's not the time to admit it. Don't admit <laughs> it here because it's going to go live. <laughs> but how do you view that, man? Like what would you say to someone who's like, look, man, I just don't, I don't, can't support this because of the rioting and the destruction and all that stuff. So you just have to throw that last sentence in there because why? Like that's I I feel that's part of like the issue that I'm I'm trying to combat because if you associate the portion of people who are doing wrong in the name of something, like how do you think I feel about cops at times? Or evangelical Christians. Or you would go there. I would. The church, yeah. progressive Christians, they got it all figured out. Anyways, what? I mean, but, <laughs> but for real though, like that's, that's one of the things that we have to stop doing. We have to stop doing that. Going back to what we can do is be accountable to ourselves. Like we can educate ourselves and we can learn all of this stuff and we can um, be involved in all these things. But until you hold yourself accountable, that's putting on a front. That's fakeity, as the homie Forges would say. Like, that's, that's fake. It's just fake. Like, let's keep it real. Hold yourself accountable. Let's hold each other accountable. I mean, inside the church, outside the church. Let's let's make sure that when there's someone who is misrepresenting whatever it is, whether it's a movement or a group or a team or family like i'm not gonna say my whole family's bad just be or my whole family's good just because um you know i've been able to go to spain like my whole family hasn't been able to do that i'm not gonna say all cops are bad just because i've seen that cop killed george floyd can't do that i won't do that I refuse to do that. And I'm going to hold myself accountable to saying that cop should have never been employed. 
the supervisor should have never allowed that cop to be employed and whatever, you know, accountability needs to happen there, that should be. And then whoever employed the supervisor, which I would at this point just go to the system and say, yeah, the system needs reform. I will gladly say that. Like the system needs to be changed. Reform needs to happen. But I'm not going to just do a blanket statement and say all educators are bad just because a couple of teachers in my lifetime have grouped me in with a bunch of other people who were not doing the right thing. And I suffered bad consequences because of that. Yeah. I'm going to be very specific about it and say those protesters who are peacefully protesting are doing a fantastic job. The looters and rioters are doing a very poor job of managing their anger and they should be held accountable. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. I'm not going to go out there and do it. I'm going to be accountable for what I need to do and and using my anger um, appropriately. But nope. Not going to stand with looters and rioters because that's just not how I get down. Yeah. It's just frustration. And also um, the tools that they have to work with. Because 93% peaceful protests. I don't know if you go ahead and manage those statistics against how we're doing as a country and where the, uh, the wealth gap is, the education gap is, all these other gaps that has been systematically perpetuated so yeah i i can't i I can't i I won't get down with rioting and looting um but i also won't group and generalize just because i see uh that going on in the name of um uh, certain things yeah that's good jed you had something written down there do you want to ask it could you read your own writing? Yeah, I'm just today? seeing if it fits. Are we at the conclusion statement? No, not no. yet. Well, then, close, I, I, then I've got nothing to say yet. All right. <laughs> well, then, again, we, you know, I sent you the other question, just like the Jacob Blake um, scenario. Um, obviously, there was different videos, and um, from what we know as of now is he was, they were there because his girlfriend had called, and they tased him twice. He was trying to get back to the car shot him seven times in the back what as a black man when you watch that so there's two questions what do you think first when you watch that as a black man? pain i feel pain and i think wow there's nothing else you could have done rather than than that is that really what yeah i think am i that big of a fear and i immediately go to myself because again how I grew up, the system in which I operate and interact with. I think when I saw that, am I next? But you're not going out and doing something to be arrested. So that's that's the the rub there that I'm. So specifically to this Jacob Late situating situation, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not. Um, I'm not going out there and putting myself in a situation where I'm being tased and then uh, walking away from um, officers who have tased me. Twice. I don't even know how you do that. <clears throat> hey, he was a strong brother. <laughs> I was going to say, tough guy. Uh-huh. I was kind of like, dang. Um, but, but yeah, that, and I guess we'll just box it to this situation because, you know, there are other situations where um, 
I have done no wrong at all, and police brutality and abuse have have ensued. For sure, so, for sure. So I'll go back to just keeping it to this Blake situation. No, you can tie it in though. <clears throat> I'm not asking you not to do that. Okay. I'm trying to get your perspective. Okay. Because you can tie that in. Is that so? Is that a trigger then? Because, like you said, you've been you can be triggered. So because you have faced that when it wasn't appropriate, when you see it a, a moment like that, does it trigger an emotion? Because Absolutely. I have to check my bias because first thing I have to do is go, all right, so what's really going on here? Is he really being threatening to, is he threatening the police? Is he being a threat to them? Because it's the first thing that I think now in my adult life, now that I am a parent and now that I am uh, operating in different parts of the world, I have to think, how do I not be a threat to the police? Because history has shown me that any time I'm considered a threat, they get to use all force eligible to them. A knee, chokehold, bullets, taser, dogs, yada, yada, yada. I have to manage that every time. So when I saw that, or when I look, thinking back on it right now, I think, first off, what would I do in that situation? Like, what would I do? And then... If you were who? Uh, me, myself. I can't put myself in Blake's shoes. Oh, yeah. I've just meant if you were... I thought if you were saying if I was the cop or if I was Jacob Mm-mm. Blake. If, so. I was, if I was me. Okay. And I, you could say that from a cop's perspective and from, you know, Jacob Blake's perspective. So let's take it from a cop's perspective. If that was me and I tased a person, a citizen, uh, in that situation and it did not work... And as we saw him walking back to his car with, you know, children with children. But either way, I'm a cop. I'm not worried about who's in the car. I'm worried about this this potential threat that I just tased twice. What do I do? Um, You know, I would tackle him. I would, you know. I've already tased him twice. So, yeah, I, I, I would definitely like I had a partner there, so partner watch my back i'm gonna go tackle this guy or i'm gonna shoot him in the leg like give me a you know (laughs) like get his man a chance to 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 because he's not being a threat if he's walking away and soon as he opens up the door now he's a a bigger threat so i'm gonna shoot him in the leg i'm gonna tackle him i'm gonna do something so he's not getting into the vehicle not wait till he's in the vehicle and shoot him in the back seven or so times so that's what i would do if i was a cop but if i was jacob blake in that situation and i was being tased i would just lay down on the ground yeah. And just go ahead and uh, deal with the rest afterwards, because at least I'm still alive and and, uh, and can take care of my yeah. kids or whatnot. I just I hope you understand why why I'm asking that, just because that's kind of the, the bigger question then is it's like, what what was the cop supposed to do? And I thought your answer was actually very good. Um, but then I think that when they you know, then the opposite side then is when people get really, really upset um, and then go riot or protest which is two different things mm-hmm. and then you're kind of sitting there like well, what do you <laughs> what exactly were they protesting for then if this guy was tased and he was uh, you know resisting arrest and so like yeah handling so so i told you that i wouldn't riot and protest yes and this is in my life right now where i'm at 2020 if i was back when i was 18 I'm nodding my head. I would protest. I would protest. Probably would. I would be so angry and and livid and 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 feeling like there was no way out. 
I would probably riot and loot as well. I have a confession. I'm in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. You're already forgiven. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I, you know, Rodney King riots, like I was, I don't know, not even 10 years old or whatever it was. I can't recall, but yeah, you better believe I was out there. I was getting my peace. I was poverty stricken at that time. I didn't have much to live for, I thought. I didn't have the future that I can dream up right now. There are a lot of people out there who have been messed over by the system, who have tried to do all the right things and 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 not afforded chances to uh, achieve dreams that they have put together. Um, and again, there's just that certain percentage. We go back to that 93 to 7%, like the 7% of people, I, I wonder how that compares up against all the gaps in, in, in the, uh, this, this, I'll keep calling this system again, in this American system, I wonder how that compares to, to all of those other points of education and wealth and, and community and, and all of that. So, so yeah, I, I, I won't make an excuse, nor will I excuse anyone for for uh, the way they manage their anger, because I haven't always managed my anger in a positive way. Um, but that is a result of that, because you've seen this time and time again of opportunities to handle the situation better than what it was. And then we're able to see how that situation can be handled better, just like with uh, the, the shooter who shot up the black church. Um, and, and the dude who was setting off bombs and, and the dude who was walking down the street with the AK and the cops just rode right by. <clears throat> there are different ways that, that it can be handled. And when you don't see that type of, I don't know, regard or patience or love or grace or whatever you want to call it from an authoritative perspective, it's just not equal. It's just not the same. I am not seen the same as you, Chad. I'm not seen the same as you, Scott. Like this is I am considered a threat just because I'm 6'5 and black. Like I got to wake up every day and manage that knowledge. I have to know I can't be too loud. I can't have my voice too deep cuz it might scare folks. And especially if somebody's in law enforcement and I just happen to. <laughs> I'm driving down Reserve Street at the time. It was just <laughs> Brianna, my, just, you know, not my wife. I'm chilling with her. She got her friend in the back. I'm in a Cadillac, not the 5 percent deep tent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm ch- I'm having fun. We're driving down Reserve Street and I'm have my one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the seat. And we're telling a story or something, and and I'm just like having fun. We haven't just laughing. My hands are all over the place, you know, like just having fun. Cops pull me over. Guns out. At the time, it was Mullen Station. I had to pull into there. Three more cop cars show up just as this dude's getting out, guns out, telling me, get my hands out the window. I'm like, what just happened? Like my world went from paradise to hell. And the flip of a switch. 
You wanted to know why they pulled me over? Because they thought I was beating the passenger. Because of my hand was moving up and down. And all they can see was that. Pull me over, guns out. No big deal. This is a regular old day for them. Pulling the guns on. Dare I say a black man? Like, I don't know. But for me, that's what it felt like. And so here I am having to manage that. That happened right here in Missoula, Montana, y'all. I have to manage that. When I worked at Verizon, I raised my voice a little bit, make sure I spoke a little higher. I didn't want to be a threat. Because if I was intimidating, I wouldn't have made it to number one in sales. I wouldn't have got to any, I wouldn't have achieved anything that, that I did in, in that work environment. I have to change myself in certain situations. I had to. I ain't doing it anymore. I'll tell you that much. But I had to. And every day I wake up, I have to manage how am I going to be perceived in certain situations so I'm not a threat and so that my life is not taken from me or things that I've earned are either removed or yeah, know, having less access to or whatever. Yeah. So it's just something that's on your, your mind. It's how I manage every day. Yeah. I think uh, I, these aren't in the notes, but I think like it's a good follow-up question and just another good thing to define for the audience and we've had a few conversations on like white and I guess the way I would define it is I get to wake up and have the benefit of that I'm not beating my passive if I'm moving my my hands they're really small <laughs> but um maybe you can give us a, a broader perspective on that too both you and Scott um can you guys define white privilege? And I think a lot of times people perceive that as a negative. Uh, and they go, I don't have white privilege. Uh, and I have my thoughts on that. And if that in itself probably a privilege to claim that you don't have privilege. Or even myself not being able to dialogue and have the conversations with uh, different cultures because I live in the white North where there's 10 black people, you know, like that in itself allows me to not really even get into the conversation until 25, 26, now 32. And I'm just now learning and processing some of this hurt and systemic pain. Um, that in itself is a privilege that I could probably actually live the rest of my life and not, and just tune out. Um, do you want to shed some light on that, either of you, or Dayton first? Dayton. <clears throat> yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, so. explain that what that means to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's one definition for white privilege. I think there's a multitude of things. I've been on this um, this this journey of being anti-racist, and I think white privilege is is one of those things that if you're not being anti-racist, you are living in your in your privilege, specifically white privilege um, in America, because the system has been structured that way. Yeah, uh, That's just one of the ways that I would describe white privilege, not standing up against racism and being um, 
being able to continue. Yeah. Pretty much like, like that's crazy to me, Chad. Yeah, like it's that nuts. is insane to me that that you wouldn't have to worry about that, you know. And I know people do, and you know, like that's not my battle to to fight, you know. Uh, and so, another way that I that I that I see white privilege, or or I would define white privilege, is it's, it's sometimes it's just not even something that 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 people act on, you know, it's just stuff that they've been afforded due to the system, you know, whether it's due to me not being able to afford it because, you know, the system is, is hindering that or, or the systemic racism has, has uh, limited my opportunity there. Um, but sometimes you just don't even know it that either you're using your white privilege or abusing your white privilege I will say this though, not all white privilege is bad. Like, cause I've been supported by some some pretty awesome white people. <laughs> I love you white people that supported me all of this time. He's not For hitting that person in the passenger <laughs> side <laughs> when you see him in the car. That's Please. his wife and daughter. Thank you. Don't pull me over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think going back to being a cute keyboard warrior like that's something that i that i constantly share on my social media is that not all white people are bad you know because uh, i like to to make that that statement i like to to give a shout out and show love to the white people who are out there um protesting with me and and standing in the gap and and being anti-racist and using their white privilege for good and and that's that's something that I, I, I do want to state because that's important to me to know that not all white privilege is, is, is bad. And I'm not going to let the media or somebody else tell me what that is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I've always wrestled with that one. White, just the word, the term white privilege. Um, I, I just said on Sunday, one of the, the greatest thing one of the greatest things that happened just for my life was to play college basketball because I didn't know any black, I didn't even know one black person growing up, let alone, well, my, actually my best friend Jeff was black in uh, Post Falls, Idaho, but in Montana, I didn't know one black person, right? But I, my dad worked on reservations, you know, and my best friend was an Indian guy, you know? And so I was around that, but basketball really helped me hear uh, the story behind the story, you know? Like one of my best buddies who I lived with, he had four brothers, didn't know his dad, you know, and it was kind of like you said, you said something really interesting earlier that I was going to touch on though. When you just said, when you got money, you spent it. So I, this is one, this is one moment in my life that I realized I was racist, not in the sense that I thought black people were less, but I didn't, I was racist because I didn't understand why they did what they did. And I remember I struggled with some of the black dudes on my team getting their subsidy check, going out, buying three pairs of Jordans and all the jerseys, man. Remember when we were there in college, everyone was wearing them jerseys. And it used to like, it used to infuriate me because then in November, no offense, they'd, they'd ask me for money for rent or something or things. And then I realized um, that's how they were raised. And there was a cultural thing too. Like you got 50 men back then it was 50 cent, right? It was all about the chains and all that. And that was, I remember hearing my friend's heart. Basically it was, he felt like he was nothing as a black man if he didn't have nice clothes. 
that's how I knew I was one, very sheltered. And I too was judging someone just because you don't think something's right. Doesn't mean you can't hear their story on why they do it. And I always like to say it might, it doesn't excuse what people do, but it does explain it. And I think we all have that. So that was a moment in my life that I realized, and I've been around enough white people to see that they spend that money differently too. And they're in debt. They just bought 38 inch tires on their Ford F-150 instead of an NBA Jersey or something. Right. So that's where we divide. And that, that helped me in my life. See that as far as white privilege goes, the only thing I've always struggled with is when people say that. And again, this is just me personally is I've never once woke up Jayton thinking I deserve this because I'm white today. That has never crossed my mind. Not once. And it doesn't mean that I haven't benefited whether I know it or not. I'm sure I have. I, I just have never thought that. And so, and I think that's, that's the rub when you hear the term white privilege is, I mean, I don't, we got three white dudes sitting here. Have you ever woken up and thought, I just deserve this because I was born white, you know? I and think maybe, sorry, I just don't think we understand the term, but right. I also, that's that rub with white people when I you hear white privilege. Vocabulary is so important because all of us bring in our own definitions to everything. Because uh, you can perceive white privilege as I deserve, where I can perceive white privilege after having conversations as I don't even think about this stuff i just wake up and mope around about being depressed because it's sunny and 98 degrees I'm like the opposite yeah. <laughs> give me that rain in that 60 but um what's february like for you yeah. <laughs> february is like, anyways um so we don't like share this we have the same actually we have the same vocabulary we just have done a poor job at conversing about what the descriptions are or the definitions of that vocabulary i think um, so that's a unique idea. I don't, yeah. Yeah. You know. And I'll be honest again, let's just, let's just stay being real. Jayton, I do think that it is weird to be a white guy right now too. A male, a white male is like almost like despised in a lot of ways right now, like w from the media perspective. And I'm just you gotta telling you, stop watching that media. Huh? No, but I'm just telling you from Pastor, our, excuse me, Scott. <laughs> but no, but I'm just saying it's like, you know, a, it's, it's, it's almost like you're being shamed for being white sometimes. And it's kind of like, I didn't pick my skin color either, you know? And it's, that's odd. Sometimes it's like, yeah, man, I like a masculine white male is like toxic white male. <laughs> You're just like, Whoa. And I'm just, I just want people to know Jesus and do well in their life. You know, like it's just one of those things that, and like you said, that's probably a small percentage that gets highlighted. Um, but that is what's thrown at us sometimes too, is like, you're bad because you're white. And we're like, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, you know? So that's just kind of another perspective on that. Yeah, and I think that perspective is just a reaction to where we are today in 2020, you know? Um, and I hate that you feel that way, man, because I don't want you to feel that way. I don't get depressed over it. It's just kind of like, yeah, that, I'm just giving you an alternative perspective on that, that you know, when, when you keep hearing white privilege, white privilege and racist, 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 and you're, it's at a time you're, it just almost absorbs your mind where you're like, I don't want anybody to hurt Jayton or his family. I want you to go make tons of money, do well with your life. Yeah. Bring awareness. It's know? almost like doing the opposite. Like you talk a lot about like tearing down a people group to raise up a, another people group. Yeah. And in a way it can sometimes feel that way. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh, woe is me. I finally feel what it's like oppressed, to be hated yeah. and oppressed. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, how can we 
work together and go forward and rise above um, as humans. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's crazy to me because like that perspective that's coming out, like it must be only the media. Like, I wonder where else that perspective is coming from. It's academia too. Huh? It's academia. I'm a reader. I read stuff from Harvard and all those places. Uh Uh-huh. It's academia too. That's it's just really, and those are from a certain super, side, a left yeah, side or like, right like side or whatever. Saying, that's always been my, that's always been my rub. Is like I don't think you're trying to tear down white people. <laughs> I mean, you're married to a white gal. I think, but what it comes out sometimes is that we're we're gonna smash one group so another group rises. And I just in history that hasn't worked. You know. And, yeah. Yes, yeah. and that's 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 again. I don't think you're personally doing that, but that's what it seems like is happening often. Yeah, and again, I wonder where that source is is really stemming from. Because if that's coming from media and academia, like those are still two places that are dominated by white people. That's not coming from HBCUs. Yeah, that ain't coming you're from right. BET. That's fine. You're actually no, you're right because I actually just read an article where. They were trying to make it like a segregation thing, like the Black Lives Matter group was telling these white people to like get out, but it was because they were ruining the white people, ruining the movement. They were the ones like, they're like, whoa, we're not saying what you're saying right now, you know? And it was interesting how that got spun on that. And I think that's kind of what was my last question with you, actually, and then I'll let Chad finish it out. And then you have to do your spoken word, bro. As a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you know that the gospel is inclusive it's for everybody and um you one of my certain like right when all this happened i came out and told the people who kept saying all lives matter like i get what they mean in their hearts but i told them i was like you gotta let black people have their moment this is their moments like they're not saying black lives are better than yours that's not what they're saying but as a christian i get why that's it's one it's a trigger for people and i think it's for a trigger for people who aren't don't consider themselves racist so they feel like the Black Lives Matter movement is calling us racist when we're not, when I don't necessarily think that's what you're doing by any means. But as a follower of Christ, which the gospel for everyone, and Christ met with the Romans, he met with the Jews, he met with the Samaritans. Like he, How do you view that as a follower of Christ within the whole movement of racial justice? <laughs> Preach. Gosh. Yeah. For, for me, when I think about Black Lives Matter, and I'm glad you said this earlier, it's not about pushing anyone else down. Which you've posted on very well, actually. Yeah. And when I think about that passion that I have and that, that fire that's in me, this is the reason why I'm sitting here at this table with you right now is because I follow that same model of I'm a, I'm, I'm going to talk with the hustler on the block who may not be doing it right because I want him or her to see how you can do it right and that there's a way out of that negative situation. I'm going to continue to go to work even if it's a uh, uh, a space that I don't feel where I can bring my whole self to work or walk in my truth. I'm going to still let that light shine. So no matter which 
area or network that I'm in, whether it's a Black Lives Matter movement or protest or a meeting or whatnot, I'm still bringing my whole self, which is led by, I'm a God-fearing man, so I'm led by God. And I'm going to lead with that. And I still haven't seen anything that that's swayed or questioned or made me think or feel that loving all and leading with love is wrong. You're definitely going to be burned. You're going to have heartache. I also consider that part of the journey. And if it was, you know, a, a life without any kind of complication or turmoil or yeah <laughs> i was listening to uh kurt franklin down by the riverside i don't know if you remember that album. yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> man. gosh i think i broke down crying listening to that one but that's that's how i feel is i said it earlier I'm, i feel blessed so i can be a blessing to others and that's first and foremost so when I, I can't compare the two and i can't say that i balance the two in a certain way because fundamentally i bring god with me and I feel God doing that work through me to make sure that the injustice that is going on, period, that I'm doing something about it. But specifically when it's touching me and my family or, or my network or my group, when it hits home, that I'm making sure that I, that I stand a little taller that I go in a little harder, that I make sure that there's no filter or blockage on my passion, that I'm doing the right thing. So for me, there's no balance because I don't take off my Jesus hat <laughs> when yeah. I enter in a BLM meeting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm the same me. Like my soul, my soul, Scott, that, I know where that is going to go. I know where I need to make sure that that's being cultivated and 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 purified, so to say. I need to make sure that that's right. So no matter which area or realm that I'm in, I can always fall back on that. So your question of, like, how do you balance the two? And, you know, I even looked this up with my wife because I was like, why, where is he going with this question? And, and why is there even a, a balance that needs to happen? Like, for me, it's one and the same. Like, God is saying black lives matter. That's what I wanted to say. I'm black and I'm made in the image of God. Right. Yeah. Like, come on now. So for me, it's not thinking that there's a disconnect there. For me, it's all the same. And I know you, I know y'all, all you, we, we know the stories in the Bible. We know how um, um, so many times that people were resistful for being that person in the limelight or being the person that God's called on. It's not the easiest thing. It's definitely not the easiest thing. But once you, yep, Lord, I'm all yours. Go ahead and do with me what you want. There's no, there's no reason, there's no reason to have to, to, to balance it because it's not about the movement. It's not about the organization. It's not about, you know, the cops. 
and the bad seeds versus the good seeds and the system at this point. It's just about you doing the right thing. And again, for me, Black Lives Matter is being about the right thing because there are injustices that are going on against the black community that needs to be solved like a long time ago. So progress that we have made now is great. It's absolutely wonderful. Let's keep going. Let's not stop here. Let's not stop now. Because why? Well, because my faith, <laughs> the creator that I believe in, is wants the same thing. Amen. Let's hear some poetry. Oh, shush. <laughs> that was a great answer. Thank you for sharing your heart with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I'll do. Tell the, us about the spoken word first. Ah, Thanks. Yeah, tell yeah, us. Yeah, tell us about call. it. Tell us All about right. this. Like why? What? So, what? How you started that, and why? Why that's important to you? Yeah, yeah. So another plug here. I'm doing an event on the 20th. I don't know when this will be produced, but on the 20th, I'll be doing a spoken word event. You can buy tickets now. Again, go on my Instagram, uh, J underscore World Perspective, uh, and at this event we do live music poetry spoken word and just a good vibe you know it's like one of those things you imagine where uh you go there and you, you know that you want to learn something uh, chad i ain't gonna pick on you but you have your 10 friends they're black you're gonna meet more <laughs> this is a good opportunity for you <laughs> to learn a little something especially when somebody's going well what do i do where do i start where do i go how I don't, I'm in my, I'm in Missoula, Montana. I don't have much exposure to, you can call it specifically black people, but yeah. diversity is yeah. really what it comes culture. down to. Culture, yeah. Culture, right. But can't say just finding culture because there is a culture here in Montana. You know, like there is a culture here. You just quoted somebody buying tires and rims for a vehicle. That is part of a culture. Yeah. Hunting is a culture. Montana has a culture, so I never want to dismiss the culture that's here. When you come to a diverse culture, when you bring your perspective to a diverse set of other perspectives, that's where we grow. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do with this space is, is, is create that where people can, can listen to not only what I have to say, um, but also um, to grow, you know? So, yeah. Sweet. Two, two uh, of my homies and, and myself created this little this little performance. It's down at the Staven Hoop Speakeasy downtown Missoula. Um, it's like through the alleyway downtown. Yeah, just look it up, Staven Hoop. And and yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't think that we'd be able to pull it off the way we did, but there's a couple quotes here. I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and and. Uh, and pull it up real quick because hopefully my laptop doesn't die on it. But there's uh, there's a really good quote from somebody who attended um, on this last on this last time. So this is our encore show. Uh, the first one sold out, uh, which was great. It's also a fundraiser, by the way. We're fundraising for the Black Solidarity Summit 2021, and you know that's at the University of Montana hosted by the Black Student Union. Um, but this is one of the quotes. Um, so it says, I went to the last witness and, lit witness and listen 
event, and it was great. Rarely have I seen Missoula audience actually be quiet and listen like listen that like that. Usually everyone talks through everything. Powerful stuff. Keep doing your thing. The world needs more of you. That is exactly what I wanted to give the audience. Allow people a little insight on how I am processing everything that's going on. Because this podcast is just a, just a part of it, you know? Like, yeah. I still got to wake up every day and manage my blackness in a society, in a world, in a country that has systemic racism, racist problems. So I started writing to process all of this. I've always enjoyed writing, but um, not like this. Yeah. Like, I got something on my heart, and yeah. I got something on my mind. And now I have the tools to be able to to write it in a way that I, that that I can get my point across and also help others. Yeah, it's positive. It's a positive way to share your. But your it's also story. vulnerable, man. It's also sensitive. It's also putting yourself out there. It's opening yourself up for not only criticism but for people. You know, one of the negatives is people to engage and exhaustion happens. So. Um. Yeah, we're doing it. It's been great. We're gonna do it again. The twentieth. There's still six tickets left. Limited tickets due to social distancing. Masks are required. So we're doing all the right ways and the right things. And we thought we would not do it just because who wants to go out to an event right now and inside of closed doors? But everybody. People yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go. I'll wear a helmet if I have to. <laughs> I meant to say earlier that. When you ask, what do people do? One thing is listen to this podcast. And for y'all to continue on providing a platform for people, all of us, not just black, not just our native, you know, our indigenous population, but for all of us to be able to have these conversations and be able to discuss some of these, you know, the progress that we're doing. I don't ever want to dismiss that because we are making progress. And I don't ever, I really don't want white people to feel, specifically white men, to feel like they're being attacked. I don't want to say, well, dang, imagine how a black man feels. What I do want to say is, yeah, don't feel like that. Let's fix that. Amen. Mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, let's hear it, man. Let's hear it. All right. All right. Here we go. It's going to be a great way to close it. Be my ally, teacher. Help me get through. I don't just want to, eh? I'm going to earn that grade, too. Be my ally, cop. Help me get through. When you pull me over, don't pull guns on us, too. Be my ally, judge. Help me get through. It's the same as he did. Give me that minimum, too. Be my ally, neighbor. Help me get through. I want to pull up to the park and not see Karen times, too. Be my ally in business. Help me get through. 
Am I just a checkbox DNI title to you? Be my ally socially. Help me get through. Call racist shit out when it's exposed to you.